From beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary from conservative activist Stephanie Hitt, joining us from Alexandria, Virginia. Josh Cantro, a Republican attorney here in Chicago, Illinois. Dan Ronan, a transportation expert from Upper Marlboro, Maryland. And from Lansing, Michigan, Felix Sharp Calabrero. He is a Democrat political consultant. And our program tonight is coming to you from my home base at the beautiful AM560 studios in Elk Grove Village. That's just outside Chicago. Our program tonight is recorded, so we will not be taking a telephone calls. However, you can still offer your comments and send them to me at Dumo at D-U-M-O. That's our new... Uh, did we figure out what the first official word instead of a Twitter or a tweet or to me it's it's called an X, but I'm gonna forever probably call it a tweet. But anyway, it's at D U M O D U M O, and again, no calls this evening. Um, tomorrow, around America and uh, t- to some extent maybe around the world, uh, we will be commemorating the 22nd anniversary of the September 11th attack on the United States. Uh, 22 years ago, back in 2001. And uh, I want to find out at the beginning of our conversation this evening, and uh, Josh, I'm going to start with you. Um, Has the impact of the September 11th attack, has it subsided uh, either in your life or in America? Or where do you think you and your colleagues uh, are, are thinking about September 11th on this anniversary coming up tomorrow? Well, I, I think that my sense is that in society it is uh, subsided a little bit uh, because just the, the distance of time. And look, a lot of uh, people in this country uh, were born after that event. But I think it's important as these anniversaries come up that we not let it um, subside, that we remember it. We remember how horrible it was, how our nation was attacked. Uh, by four airplanes that day. And it was truly a horrific event. I'll never forget where I was mm-hmm. when it happened. I was on my way to downtown Chicago to participate in a mock trial on a case that we actually did try two months later. And it was just an incredible time. It was a, it was a horrible event. And I think we ought to remember the victims and their families. Okay. Uh, at the- Felix? Uh, what was your uh, either reflection or, I guess, to a, a broader question, uh, which I asked, which is, uh, how is everybody responding to that now in your sphere of influence with your friends and neighbors? Well, September 11th will always be <clears throat> a pivotal moment in in, in, uh, in our history. And I think across the nation, we will always continue to recognize it. For uh, for the damage it caused to American society and 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 also as a wake up call, uh, at the time. Interestingly, uh, Rudy Giuliani was mayor of New York at the time, and 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 in my humble opinion, used the opportunity to his advantage. Uh, and 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 now he is today in the news and front and center right. in the news. I think that Americans are going to recall. Uh, September 11th as potentially one of the last moments where the nation was united because we we face another critical point in our history. 
and uh, and they're all connected. The dots are connected. The young people, mm. including my daughter, who I had to pick up from school that day, mm-hmm. uh, were affected by that event. Are now in positions of leadership. Mm-hmm. They've not continued to remember and now count it as one of the sentinel events that their generation mm-hmm. has had. Stephanie Hill, let's go to you. You join us from the Commonwealth of Virginia, or you now reside in Alexandria. Uh, your answer to the, the broader question of uh, uh, where September 11th falls in, uh, in everyday life in America these days. Well, you know, it's um, I think it's one that has subsided in everyday life. But in my own personal life, um, as a young attorney in Manhattan, one of my big clients was Windows on the World, which is was the... Um, restaurant at the top of the World Trade Center. So while I watched that on TV, I knew exactly what was going on that morning, having spent many a breakfast meeting there. One of my close friends was the CFO of Scanner Fitzgerald, did not survive. And um, so it had a lot of personal, you know, personal meaning to me, a lot of personal pain, but also um, the memory of it is, is something that at least our military is still trying to preserve. And I just spent a month in Ramstein, Germany, um, and there they're celebrating two events with special um, commemorative runs. One is uh, September 11th, and the next one, sadly, is going to is the um, the 13 that were killed in Afghanistan right. during the withdrawal. Right. And, you know, that's where we've come to. We've, we've come to, you know, September 11th to August 26th, and it's tough. Dan Ronan, uh, you were a journalist uh, at that time. What What is your answer to the broader question that I asked about where do you think September 11th is? Uh, is it is it fading away? Are are people re- still remembering it finally? The uh, you know obviously the majority of Americans were still alive then, but a big uh, chunk of America was not. Uh, that's correct. But think about this. Uh, yes, the memory of it has uh, faded a little bit uh, over the last 20 years or so, but we're still living with it. Uh, we still live with. Uh, things going through airports. We still live with it, metal detectors, enhanced security, cameras in every corner of our society to try and uh, prevent this from happening again. I had a conversation uh, just the other day with a guy by the name of Joe Woolhead. Joe was at 9-11, the morning of the attacks, and uh, he is the official photographer of the World Trade Center, and he has dedicated his life to uh, taking photographs of what happened that day and then also the rebuilding of One World Trade Center over the last 20 years. And to him and to others that uh, have been through it and to those families that have died, the Gold Star families that uh, are out there, mm-hmm. it still resonates with them. There's a lot of young people who are now in their 20s who uh, yeah. had uh, moms and dads go off to Iraq and Afghanistan and didn't come home. They got involved with programs like TAPS and Gary Sinise's program, Snowball Express, Mm -hmm. others, and their lives have been uh, really significantly impacted. Yeah. Felix, you had a comment? I still think there's a big impact on society today. Felix. Uh, No, it's, uh, if I can comment, I I will say that, you know, just, just rehashing and listening to the individual stories here today rises up emotion. 
uh, in me, I'm, I'm sure, and certainly in others. So uh, while it has faded, uh, it, it is not forgotten, and it never will be. Well, uh, let's let's hope so. I think I think uh, I, I've told this story uh, numerous times because uh, uh, 22 years ago I, I was on vacation. I was on vacation uh, in in Sweden, and I learned the news uh, on the radio with a cryptic report that was coming through from the uh, the radio that I was listening to. I was on an island off an island, Gotland Island, one of the most remote places uh, probably in Sweden. And I heard that news, and uh, I realized that I had had two programs uh, recorded, but I had to get back uh, to the United States. Didn't make it, but uh, we got a show on the air that night. I'm Bruce Dumont. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. If you talk, they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us uh, this evening, wherever you are. Uh, no calls this evening, but we are uh, t- still having a scintillating conversation, we hope, uh, with our guests. And uh, one of the questions that I had asked, I talked about September 11th uh, and uh, the, uh, the, the the one other reflection, the personal reflection that I'll have, and then we'll move on, uh, was uh, that night I was traveling uh, w- with my partner at the time, and, and we... Uh, uh, we went into a, a restaurant for dinner, a very quiet restaurant, Swedish restaurant, and uh, people that we did not know came up and offered us condolences. They knew we were obviously the only Americans uh, in the house that night, and they came up and they just offered their condolences. And uh, uh, when finally got back into Stockholm, saw the uh, the reaction of the Swedish people. Uh, who had surrounded the American embassy with uh, flowers, uh, and uh, it was it was quite a uh, quite a moving time. So, but but the one thing I have always felt is that, as an American, I don't share the experience that everyone else has about where they were. I mean, I, obviously, I just shared with you where I was, but it wasn't in the United States. It wasn't the story of you know. A, a, uh, evacuations of buildings and things of that nature. But anyway, it'll be something that, that I'll never forget. And hopefully, um, I guess the one journalistic question I would ask of you, Dan, is I've noticed the last several years is the television networks, uh, they are not showing the picture of the planes hitting the World Trade Center anymore. They, they seem to stop just before uh, the impact. And I don't know whether it's out of respect or out of just a fear that they were going to rile people up. But uh, I've always found that to be a curious uh, journalistic decision. It probably just a hunch. Uh, there's someone who probably believes in the editorial process that we know what happens. We uh, were aware of what the outcome is. There's no need to uh, show it again and again and again. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, I know that uh, I wasn't at CNN at the time. I had just left CNN when that took place. But I know that uh, in the days and weeks after that, that uh, where I was working from, that they tried to... Uh, pull it back a little bit. We knew what was going to happen. And the story became the aftermath. The story became the uh, trying to get folks back into the country. It was the funerals. It was the uh, subsequently in the years later, the rebuilding Mm -hmm. of of One World Trade Center. Uh, But I think it is important. I think it is important to see what happened that uh, those four planes uh, you know, the one that went into the Pentagon and the other PA and then the two into uh, North and South Towers. Mm-hmm. I think it is important. And I don't think that you do the viewers and your audience any, uh, we're all adults. We all know what happened. Uh, well, especially as, 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 as Josh has just referenced, I mean, we have a large number of people because of their age uh they don't. They don't know what September 11th is all about. And for for you know decision makers to decide amongst themselves that you know they're not going to show the planes going into the building anymore. Or uh, uh, another image, which frankly I have never seen. I didn't see it in contemporary times. 
are the stories of people jumping out of the buildings. Now, again, I don't know whether we have to go that far, but again, uh, uh, Stephanie, I see your head nodding that uh, there's, there's a generation that maybe should should see that. Right. I I I was pregnant with my son, who's now a senior in college, and you know he. I would say my older kids maybe have a little hint or maybe a slight memory of it, but there is the, the, the kids graduating from college right now, this next generation hitting the workforce, getting out there. They, they haven't lived with pre 9-11. And, but, you know, Felix made a point and I, I just want to reiterate this. And you, you highlight this about Sweden. There was, that was a unique time in history where everybody reached out, loved America, and everybody in America loved each other. And, um, and I was, you know, I, I was part of the group that, you know, voted for Rudy Giuliani when he became mayor. And there is no one at that time who could have he could have done no wrong. He really was America's ma- mayor at that time. And now we could do I no. Feel, and now we could do no right to some people. And I feel like we how it's amazing in 20, 22 years how we could do a complete one eighty, and how that feeling that Americans had where we felt like we were American first, where we all, I don't know that, I don't think that ever will ever exist again. No, well, I don't I th- know I think, what it would take. I hope it's not a tragedy. Yep. No, I think, I think, I think Josh referenced it. And that was, uh, you know, that, that we were totally united at the time. I, I, I remember that yeah. sense of, of unity. In fact, I think I might've said, you know, at the time was, Someday we'll look back and think about the, these were the good old days. And really, I, I can say that 22 years later, uh, you know, yeah. and, it, and it was a period that lasted, uh, you know, a, it wasn't just a couple of weeks. I mean, it lasted, my recollection was years. for several months. Josh, you had a comment, as does uh, uh, Felix. Yeah, I was going to say that it, it did, there was this feeling of national unity, but it didn't last that long. Let's let's be honest about it. I mean, it lasted maybe a year or so, and then there there was the whole, you know, war in Iraq and the debate that we had in the nation about that. And then, you know, people were going after George Bush and Dick Cheney, and wanting to try them as war criminals, and there was. The national mood turned sour pretty quickly, but your, your basic point, I believe, is correct that there was this incredible feeling of national unity. And Bruce, you referenced your experience in Sweden. At that time, I was uh, going back and forth to London a lot on business. I lived there in 2000 two with my family working directly for a client and I had the same kind of reaction people would come up on the street and you know there was a feeling of just you're an American we feel really bad this happened in your country but again 
that international solidarity faded pretty quickly as well. Felix, you had a comment. Felix. Well, I, I've just been, um, Bill, uh, uh, agreeing with uh, many of the things that have been said here. Uh, and with regard to, uh, you know, us being united at that, at that moment, uh, at least a year and a half, is very true. We did go into Iraq uh, and, and, and into some other problems, national problems associated with saying, uh, but then, uh, but then the next, the next chapter uh, to build on that, because it's very, it's true, we, it was very short-lived. Then Barack Obama began his campaign for, for mm -hmm. uh, the, and and then and then the the real changes began to to come. Mm -hmm. uh, many people feel that mask mandates may be making a a comeback in in the country. Um, are, are you hearing much about that uh, in the in the nation's capital where you spent some time, uh, Dan? You're seeing more people at grocery stores, and you're seeing more people. I think Stephanie, and being a neighbor of mine, you know, 20 miles away, would agree. I went into the grocery store the other day and saw uh, folks, especially those that may be in the older uh, demographic with masks on, and that's that's a personal choice that if someone wants to do that because they feel that's something that they they need to do probably is a good idea uh you know i haven't done it uh i may at some point uh, i've got a lot of travel coming up uh in the next couple of weeks i may do that when i get on an airplane just to be cautious and to be uh but that's a personal decision and it's one that i think that if one of us makes a decision to do that, it should be something just, you know, hey, that's that's their decision, mm -hmm. let them do it. And it shouldn't, I don't know that there's a mandate that's needed, yeah. but it should be a personal decision. Well, I want to find, I want to, I want to, I want to find out what, I want to find out the politics of that. If, if we go into a direction where either the president or uh, uh, governors start to mandate that, uh, what is the political effect? Primarily on the Democrats. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. This is Beyond the Beltway. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Rooster, my back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway, and uh, we are recording tonight, so no phone calls. But uh, we've got uh, g- great guests, and we're going to take a moment now to uh, let them tell you a little bit more about themselves. They're going to get more than just one line. We've asked them not to give, you know, 40 <laughs> seconds, but tell us a little bit about your background. We're going to start with you, Felix. You join us from Lansing, Michigan. Uh, Felix uh, Sharp Calbrero. Caballero, a Cuban-American, been raised in the great state of Michigan and have worked and served here in uh, uh, three administrations, our Granholm administration as governor, the Archer administration as mayor in the city of Detroit, and of course, uh, the McNamara administration in uh, Wayne County government. Today, I'm a political consultant, commentator, uh, and an activist for the uh, uh, return to Obama era politics on Cuba. And where is the whole relationship with Cuba as it relates right now, Felix, to bring everybody up to date? Because when you were first on this program, it was when uh, that was a very hot topic and it's cooled off a little bit. But what's happening? 
cooled off, but interestingly, Mario Tario, Cuban American. Uh, Donald Trump, when he wants to celebrate a, vis a victory in Miami, he goes and visits Versailles, Versailles restaurant, uh, which is uh, a very politically connected uh, uh, eating establishment. Uh, but Joe Biden, since he's taken office, has been very slow to move on relationships with Cuba for one reason or, or another, and primarily because Senator uh, Bob Menendez, uh, Democrat, holds that uh, that vote that he so desperately needs for so many other things. And so he's been very slow to act, very slow to move. I expect uh, more movement in the second term. Mm -hmm. Dan Ronan, tell us about uh, your background. We've referenced it a couple of times tonight, but Let's hear it from the horse's mouth. Well, Bruce, you and I have known each other since I was probably about 11 years old. Uh, <laughs> I'm from Chicago, and I've been a reporter, a professional reporter, since I was in the eighth grade, actually getting paid. Uh, I've been a broadcast journalist for a little less than 50 years. I'm in my early 60s, so figure to do the math. Uh, I specialize in transportation and business issues for transport topics, which is one of the oldest and uh, most prestigious uh, news organizations that covers strictly transportation. Uh, I also anchor on uh, Sirius XM and on uh, weekends I anchor at uh, over at WTOP, mm -hmm. the all news mm -hmm. powerhouse uh, doing news on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And I'm also a pilot and I uh, like flying airplanes. Good. When you were last on the program, it was when uh, the issue of transportation and uh, uh, you know supply lines were a, a serious problem. Uh, it was the story virtually every day for uh, several weeks. Where is that story? Where is that industry now? Uh, you know, many many months later. It's better. It's you know your grocery stores are full. Your Amazon delivery man uh, is doing his thing. UPS. Uh, settled with the uh, the IBT, the Teamsters Union, a couple of weeks ago. The railroads settled their labor dispute a couple of about a year ago, so that's good. Uh, we've got some challenges ahead, but things are settling down, and it's it's going to be okay. I think that uh, they're trying to figure out post pandemic how it all works. We've got some problems on the Mississippi with water levels in the Panama Canal with water levels, but those are the type of things that. They're almost the type of problems you want to have because you know how to fix them. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, Hitt, tell us about uh, your life. You once upon a time lived in uh, Chicago and you used to stroll in the studios and be right across the face, <laughs> right across the microphone right. from me. But now you've moved well, uh, to the, the Commonwealth of Virginia where you uh, went to school. You've spent time there before. Yeah, uh, yeah. actually, I was born here. This I'm, I'm back in my uh, original roots. My, a lot of my family is here. I didn't realize um, you were born there. I was, yeah. And I, I grew up here. And um, the, uh, but I, I became very active and I got to know you in early 2000s when I became active in Republican politics uh, as a unique and lone Republican in Evanston, Illinois. And I started doing your show back then. And um, since then, I, I recently spent last year running the Senate campaign in Illinois for the Republican candidate. And I am now back to consulting and I'm going back to one of my latest um, ventures and that is working with um, parents to understand uh, curriculum issues in schools, which is a very big issue here in Virginia. And, and it's how, what how, how frequent is the conversation in Virginia 
about uh, Governor Yunkin and and whether or not he would uh, or is thinking of jumping into this Republican primary race uh, if uh, things continue to be where they are, uh, let's say six right. months from now, or if Donald I, Trump has, uh, and I don't think any convictions are going to come in in the yeah. next six months, but uh, uh, he's, he's ready I, I and think waiting. He's, he's willing He's willing to wait it out. He's been pretty adamant on that. I know the big focus here is he's working very much on um, getting the legislature elected, keeping the state red. It's very, very close margin here. Mm -hmm. And he's still focused on a lot of uh, education and parent issues. He still has a lot of battles on that front. Personally, from the people I know that have worked with Glenn Youngkin and um, are also Trump supporters, I do not see him jumping in to the election, even as a last minute um, effort. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to wait his time. And, um, you know, a sort of unknown fact, or some people know, you know, both he and Ron DeSantis share many of the same consultants. So I don't see the two of them going up against each other. Okay. And uh, let's go to Josh Cantrell. Josh, you have been on this program for well over a decade now, but tell everybody what you do when you're not uh, representing your clients and keeping them uh, either out of jail or out of the news. Or maybe yeah, well, I, I, don't do, <laughs> I don't do criminal law, but uh, I am a privacy and cybersecurity uh, and business litigation attorney. Um, I see that uh, the banner has me as a conservative. Um, I don't think of myself as a conservative. I'm a moderate Republican, always have been. But um, in any event, uh, I have an active Facebook blog, and I do a lot of podcasts on privacy and cybersecurity and biometrics. Illinois has the strictest law in the country on biometric privacy and we are inundated with just a lot of cases defending um, businesses, big, small, and in between, uh, related to um, alleged violations of that act. And obviously, privacy and biometrics and cybersecurity have been in the news a lot lately in terms of just how it's impacting everybody's lives. Mm -hmm. uh, the AI—I'm sorry—the AI re revolution well underway. Um, it's going to be interesting area to be in as both a lawyer and a citizen. Right. Well, the next, if you were looking to your crystal ball, I think everybody would probably agree that uh, for the next uh, 20 years, that is going to certainly be a, a major growth industry for those in the, in the legal profession, but also something that uh, we have to deal with uh, as a society as well. I understand uh, that you, uh, as as we tape this program, uh, uh, Dan, you you've uh, you've got some breaking news for us that maybe we can uh, uh, you know share with the rest of the audience that probably has heard this news, but at the moment is breaking. What happened? Well, Peter Navarro, the the former White House economic aide in the Trump administration, convicted Thursday afternoon in federal court in D.C. on the charge of uh, not appearing before Congress. As you know, Bruce, he uh, refused to testify uh, in uh, the Congress's uh, investigation of January 6th. And Navarro said that he had executive privilege and uh, decided to uh, not testify and uh, take his chances going into court. Uh, Two-day trial. Uh, the jury was out for about uh, an hour and a half, uh, came back with a conviction on a misdemeanor charge. 
no sentencing yet, but uh, he has been uh, convicted. And, and he pretty much knew uh, going into this that it wasn't, uh, there wasn't much of a chance that he was going to win. And, you know, the federal courts, uh, as uh, Josh knows, the federal courts have a conviction rate of about 94 percent mm-hmm. uh, if you get into that, uh, into that meat grinder. And he did, and he rolled the dice and lost. Well, I would only hope that that federal judge and uh, the the, uh, the the jurisprudence that led to that decision uh, today would also be aggressive in going after James Clapper, the former head of intelligence for the country, and uh, who who lied through his teeth to Congress. I think lying to Congress is is about as contemptible as you can be far more contemptible than just not showing up. And I would hope that people would go after James Clapper, but uh, uh, certainly the national news media seems to have given him a pass when he is not only on record, but on tape of lying through his teeth when he said that uh, that no agency of the federal government was involved in, in wiretapping or, or listening in or tapping phones or listening in on phone conversations. That's one of the, the biggest lies ever uh, uh, recorded, certainly, certainly uh, on tape. Um, where do we stand? I'm going to ask our attorney, uh, Josh, to respond to this. Uh, Josh, you've not been on the program in recent weeks when uh, Donald Trump's illegal problems have seemed to have grown and grown. And uh, I want to ask you the question and get everybody else's opportunity to respond as well, is that his legal issues, are are they are they as big a political issue as one would believe, or because of his legal issues, are his political chances better because of the legal issues? I want to get your response to that from a legal perspective, and I want to hear from uh, our Democrat and our Republican and our member of the media who also will join us. We will do that when we continue on this recorded edition of Beyond the Beltway from coast to coast and border to border and wherever you are around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. I'm Bruce Dumont. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. 
When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm gonna take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. We continue uh, with our broadcast, and uh, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Uh, on Beyond the Beltway, we are in a recorded edition of our program, which is why we are not taking telephone calls, but we will be back uh, next week. And also a moment, uh, I was off last week vacationing uh, uh, in uh, Nantucket and Boston, helping my uh, granddaughter move into her apartment and uh, uh, being part of a, uh, a family reunion. We had cousins, uh, elderly cousins, including myself, Three cousins who have never been in the same room at the same time. And we gathered. We spent a couple of days just chatting and chatting and chatting uh, in on Nantucket. And it was the, the weather was beautiful. The company was beautiful. And, again, uh, hearing family stories and some, uh, maybe some tales out of school that, uh, that uh, at least our parents never told us. It was kind of interesting to participate in that and then uh, spending some time going around Boston, which is one of, the, one of the great cities of America. So it was a really a delightful experience and one uh, that I want to sort of use as, as, as a setup for uh, where we are uh, this evening uh, in the country. Uh, on my trip to Boston, and again, I was in some neighborhoods, and I was downtown, and I was at, at all the various tourist locations, and I, uh, two things, I never saw a police officer, and I saw one homeless person, just one. Uh, now, there may be homeless encampments around Boston that I did not see, but in the general area where tourists walk, uh, I saw one homeless person. And if I were to do that in Chicago and stroll down Michigan Avenue, I'd probably find five or six in the first block, and uh, I would find many more if I strolled down the magnificent miles. So the issue of homelessness uh, in, in America, which I now think has been really sort of merged with the issue of immigrants and how we treat 
immigrants because many cities, including Chicago and New York, um, they are now feeling the pinch of all of the uh, uh, migrants that, that, have, that came to Texas. A lot of governors, a lot of people were upset who were, uh, they were upset with Texas Governor uh, Greg Abbott because he put those f- folks on buses and sent them to Chicago and New York. These were cities, obviously, that had been identified as welcoming uh, illegal immigrants into the country and asylum seekers. And uh, we now have a situation where in many large cities it's it's out of sync. And the, the local impoverished communities, the local regular communities, I don't even want to just say that they're impoverished, they are, they are clashing with the immigrants that are being placed in either local police stations uh, or in some, some facilities that the local people don't like at all. So, Felix, I want to get your reaction. I don't know what the situation is in Lansing, obviously a state capital, but uh, what, is your, uh, what is your view on the immigrant population and the asylum seekers and how, they have, how they've been treated uh, in the state of Michigan? Well, uh, uh, some of those immigrants have been family members of, of mine that have come into mm-hmm. uh, the states across that, uh, that, that southern border. In fact, I have a cousin who right now sits in Mexico City who will soon be crossing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cuban Americans alone, over 300, 350,000 have uh, entered the United States over the last two years. And, and it has significantly added to a homeless uh, population problem that was exacerbated by the pandemic. Uh, during the pandemic, homelessness, and I traveled significantly during the pandemic uh, across the country mm-hmm. and was able to see from state to state just how bad the homelessness problem was in California, uh, up and down the highway. But here in Lansing, Michigan, just off the campus of Michigan State University, one of the largest uh, academic institutions in the country, there's a homeless encampment. And all over downtown Lansing, there is homelessness. It's an issue that uh, is going to require attention and should be a focal point of this presidential election because cities can no longer handle the uh, the increased cost and the, the need for housing. But is there going to be a clash between Democrats? Because at least in Chicago, when I'm when I'm watching uh, television and I, I'm seeing local community and neighborhood leaders upset with a Democrat administration in Chicago of, of Brandon Johnson, as well as with Lori Lightfoot, who preceded him. I mean, they're upset yeah. because they as the as the as the welcoming city that they purport to be, um, they they're welcoming these people. Uh, they're pointing their finger and they're and they're yelling at, at Governor Abbott for putting these people on buses, uh, notwithstanding the fact yeah. that they they were basically asking for them. But again, uh, the politics of this, it seems to me, they're running into neighbors and activists and communities. They don't want the immigrants. They don't want the asylum seekers there. Not anymore. Bruce, you're no, exactly right. Josh, Cantor, okay, to you. Can I respond? Yeah. Yes. Look. Bruce, you have brought up the number one issue right now in this country. You had Democrats who dismissed Abbott and DeSantis sending these migrants up as a political stunt. And, you know, 
but we're a sanctuary city. They were declaring for years they're a sanctuary city. But when it came time to providing for providing sanctuary, they're not able to provide it. And their hypocrisy is being exposed. And you have the governor of New York and the mayor of New York City, both Democrats, sniping at each other. And you have both of them saying that Biden is doing a terrible job and that his administration's policies right. are, are are a result for this, of this. And I think that this issue is going to be huge in the upcoming yeah. elections. And it's an issue that favors Republicans. Now, I don't want my comments to be misconstrued. I have great sympathy for these migrants and what they've endured and why they want to come here. But we have to have an immigration system that is orderly. We have to have a border. And if we don't have a border, we don't have a country. And so this right. is a real Democrats at a local, state, and national level. Well, the other thing too is the you know the the turning around and blaming these bus loads. Those numbers are minuscule compared to what's coming over the border and affecting those border states. I right. just spent a week in Austin, Texas. Hang on just a second, uh, Stephanie. Hang on just a second. We do have to break. I want to hear your story about uh, your week in Austin, Texas, and I want to hear from Dan Ronan as well. Uh, I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks very much for joining us. A great conversation. Good. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Oh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. <laughs> the dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Matthew. Huh? It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, 
including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Jill, why didn't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back in hour number two of Beyond the Beltway, and we're joined this evening by Stephanie Hitt, who is a political activist, conservative political activist in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and uh, she joins us from uh, her beautiful home in Alexandria, and uh, Felix Sharp Calabrero joins us from his home in Lansing, Michigan. He is a Democrat political consultant and very active in the Cuban-American community. Josh Cantrell joins us here in Chicago uh, down at his office, and uh, he is a he's now describing himself as a moderate Republican. We'll let him explain that as the program unfolds. And uh, Dan Ronan joins us. Uh, he is a, a longtime journalist, and he is a transportation expert, has his own program on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, dealing with the issue of the transportation industry, the transit industry, and all of its uh, issues. And uh, before the break, if uh, you've just tuned in, uh, we have been talking about uh, – uh, asylum seekers and illegal immigrants and immigrants that are in the United States. They all came to Arizona or they all came to Texas and the Texas governor decided, Hey, we can't deal with them all here. Uh, that seemed to be going in one ear and out the other ear at the federal level. So he decided to put them on buses and send them to big cities that had described themselves as welcoming cities, including Chicago and New York. And it has created havoc in those cities because the democratic mayors they have no place to put them. They're putting them in police stations. They're sending them to suburban areas. They're, they're looking for hotels to, to find a place uh, to, play, to, to place them. And the, the local community uh, that is on the receiving end of this 
They don't want them. They're starting to get very upset about them. And so we're dealing now with uh, with a, a major issue that has been avoided by Democrats and Republicans. Uh, but again, uh, right before the break, uh, uh, Stephanie Hitt was going to explain uh, some first-person experience that she had in Austin, Texas. And people in that uh, great city join us on KLBJ tonight. So share your thoughts and reflections, if you will, Stephanie. Well, I, I first want to make a point. We talked a little bit. We started with the point of, you know, homelessness. I think we ha- we are seeing two sides of the homeless problem. One is the uh, rampant drug use and um, people with mental, mental disabilities um, who are creating a large portion of the homeless population. And those are that's being tolerated in cities like San Francisco, Austin, parts of Chicago, Los Angeles. You're also seeing in those cities a tolerance for high uh, crime, like shoplifting and so on, that adds to that problem. Um, and then on the other side, we do. I don't have think the, that's homeless people, though, Stephanie. Let me just. I don't think the the the, the shoplifting and the and the, the rampaging teenagers. I don't think that's uh, tied to. Uh, uh, it, I think it the, might the be a mix because crime. you know, yeah, you do, but you do have a lot of the homeless that are living on the streets, okay. availing themselves of the non-prosecution and the ability to do this, and you're seeing this in a lot of the bigger liberal cities. Um, and then we have the migrant crisis, which is really, uh, I was in New York not too long ago where, you know, the hotels are being taken over, um, people in the neighborhoods, the hotels, business, pe- business people more than anything are really pushing back. Because so here's my, here's my question to you, unable. Stephanie, let me, I gotta, I'm going to ask yeah. this question to you because you're, yeah. you're, you're reciting the problem as, as did I, right. and I think it's very important that people know what the problem is. And I think if you if you're if if you're alert, you know what the problem is. I don't think you you necessarily right. get a sense of it if you're watching just network television. But if you're watching, uh, you know, yeah. other news operations, either be they left or right, you get a sense. Certainly, Fox News, uh, they're, 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 they could almost go 24 yeah. hours a day on the subject. But my question, and I want to begin this with you, uh, Felix, how do we solve this problem? Because you're right. We have people who are out on the streets who are who have drug problems, they have mental problems, and then you couple them with, with, with hundreds of thousands or, or millions coming in from uh, Central America and Mexico, and, and, and they have economic issues and needs. Uh, how do we stop this, or can we? First of all, Bruce, just to be brief, first of all, we stop it by recognizing that it is not a Democratic problem or a Democrat problem or a Republican problem. It is an American problem, a problem of the United States of America. And the only way that we're going to solve it is by working together, uh, dealing, first of all, with the issues of substance abuse and mental health, which uh, Stephanie rightly raised and, and as director, former director of the Behavioral Health with the State of Michigan, I'm highly uh, conscious of the fact that uh, the homeless population uh, does have needs where substance abuse and mental health services are concerned. However, we now have exacerbated that problem because the United States of America, uh, forget about sanctuary cities, the United States of America has become a sanctuary country. And uh, the failed policy of the Trump administration in Central and Latin America caused an influx 
of immigrants from all of Latin America, Cuba, Honduras. What, Felix, what was what, that what? problem? What, what, tell us, you've described, you're the first person that, that you said it wasn't Republican, Democrat, but again, you pinned the, the, the Trump policies in Central America for the, yes. the increase. Why? Explain what you mean by that. Well, well, let's start by recognizing that Barack Obama found a way to stabilize uh, the, the, the relations of the United States with Central America, with Cuba, when all of the Latin American countries in the last CELAC conference, which I believe was 2014, not the last, but the 2014 CELAC conference, was calling on uh, the United States to recognize and begin normalizing relations with Cuba, Barack Obama complied, and it, and it minimized the influx of immigrants from Central America for a period of time until Donald Trump became president and then began to uh, attack Venezuela, uh, Cuba, over 243 policy actions against Cuba. That has flushed immigrants out of those countries into this country, and that's what we're dealing with. But were those, were those folks, uh, were they fleeing to Cuba? during that, that short-lived period of uh, Obama's position down there? Not, not fleeing to Cuba, but you saw, you saw a reduction in immigration during the Obama administration. But you also had, but, but, but you also had uh, a decision by the Trump administration, the remain in Mexico policy, which seemed to s- slow down. It certainly didn't stop, but it slowed down uh, the the illegal immigration into the country, and it, it reduced also the asylum seekers because uh, there was no there was no positive thing that was uh, that Donald Trump was saying that made people think that they were going to be welcomed in the United States for a period of time. For for a period of time, that is a fact. But by the time Donald Trump transitioned the presidency to uh, Joseph Biden, uh, you know the floodgates had already reopened again. And it was in it, and it. I know for a fact. I know this for a fact. I can't speak to Mexico and Honduras, but I can speak to Cuba. Cuban immigration has subsided, and 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 had been minimized until Donald Trump took two hundred and forty policy actions against the country, causing the poverty, the poverty to exacerbate. And okay. people are uh, running. We got to we, Felix. We do it. We do, it we do have to. We do have to pause, and when we come back, I want to get uh, Josh has got his hand raised for those listening to us on radio, and we will hear from him when we roll on from coast to coast and border to border. This is Bruce Dumont. You're listening to Beyond the Beltway now in its 44th year, and we're going to keep doing it until we get it right. Oh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. 
Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So talk, they hear you. You can do it if you try. Bruce Dumont back. We continue. Uh, Josh Cantrell, you had your hand raised because you wanted to respond to some thoughts that uh, Felix uh, Cabrero had to say. Yeah, I mean, I applaud Felix for saying that it's not a Republican problem or a Democratic problem. It's an American problem. But then he goes to, on to blame Republicans and praise Democrats. Look, the truth of the matter is, is Cuba is not the main source of our uh border problem. Uh, we don't share a border with Cuba. It's harder to get here from Cuba. The fact of the matter is it's the U.S.-Mexico border. And here are just some facts that the border was largely under control with President Trump. And with Biden in his first year in office, U.S. Customs and Border Protection experienced 1.7 million encounters with aliens at the border, the highest number ever. And there were another about 300,000 migrants who avoided apprehension altogether and entered our country illegally. Those were new records. The problem got worse in 2002. And it's Biden that created this problem. He stopped construction of the border wall. He attempted to halt deportations. He said, we're a welcoming country, come here. He suspended new enrollments under the migrant protection protocols. And he did a lot of other things. And he says, come here because it's fine for Texas to have to deal with this. 
in Arizona to have to deal with this. But you know what? But Josh, be, now, verbally, let me just interject for a second. Verbally, that's not what Joe Biden said. Verbally, he said, don't come here. I mean, even Kamala Harris, in the brief time that she was acting as the czar here, she even, she even said, don't come here. But again, I think your point is that the policies were saying one thing and the president was saying something else. And then you have to add into this, you have to add the, the coyotes and you have to have, uh, obviously, some acquiescence on the part of the Mexican government. Uh, you know, they're not you know they're they're not doing all that they can do although they did provide some military support during the 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 the, uh, uh, the Trump administration which seemed to be some sh some show of support for what we're trying to do here but again I want to go back to uh, to Dan to get your perspective because you've been covering it and obviously this this ties into some of the issues that you deal with the uh, you know in the in the transportation beat but again I, I want to sort of focus on how do we solve this? I mean, you, 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 we clearly have a division here. And what, what I'm saying, based on what I'm experiencing here in Chicago, is that part of the, part of the political population that has supported a Democratic position, which I think is a more lenient position on immigration, I think that's being chipped away by the reality here when the illegal immigrants and the asylum seekers actually hit Chicago or New York or major cities and, and, and the local governments are sort of trapped into taking care of these people, they're running out of money. They're running out of places where they go. And it is infuriating the, the core constituency that is in those cities. Here's Dan. a long-term solution, Bruce, and it's a partial solution. I've talked to a lot of CEOs and the like. And after the pandemic, with so much of our manufacturing base in China, many of them would like to move their manufacturing facilities to Mexico. We have rail down to Mexico. We have uh, cross-border trucking that does millions of visits every year. They'd like to move a lot of their manufacturing to Mexico and do that. But Mexico's government and Mexico has problems with the narcotics industry down there. They have a government down there that uh, say what you want to say about it. They're not being as aggressive as they need to be against those that are peddling narcotics and moving them across the country. So you have businesses that want to do business in Mexico, but they're afraid of the security situation. I had a, a CEO of a company tell me this. He said, if Mexico could figure out some of their security problems that they have down there, there is a very well-trained workforce that can be integrated and it can cut our transportation time by hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, and by many, many days instead of shipping something across the Pacific. If you can get Mexico to have a more stable economy where people there can make better wages mm. and have better access to middle-class lifestyle in that country, that takes some of the pressure off same thing with Venezuela, too. I mean, one of the richest countries in the world in terms of oil reserves, and the country's a basket case. And yet, mm -hmm. if they could get some way to figure that out and not have so much of the oil money being siphoned off to the corruption, they may be able to keep a lot more Where, people there and not come here. And that's, the, way, that, that's the key. That's Stephanie. the key is the corruption. 
it's, you know, the corruption is a huge component of it. It's not just, you know, the existence of these cartels. And, you know, when you talk about root causes, well, there you go. Uh, the corruption there. And we do not have a strong leadership, American leadership policy on how to how to put pressure on these countries with their corruption. But again, insofar as the let's let's look at the other piece of this problem here is we talk about the drug cartels. We talk about the strength and the power of the drug cartels that are charging thousands of dollars to people who are who are looking to find a better place to to live and and prepare for their family, yeah. and and yet what are they bringing? They're bringing either drugs, they're bringing drugs, homemade drugs from Mexico, uh, maybe uh, perhaps in many cases with an increasing case laced with fentanyl, which is coming due from them from China again, uh, not a not a friendly uh, you know neighbor of the United States, and and yeah. and. But why are they doing it? The, the the president of Mexico has said, and I think he has said with some accuracy, America, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Look, look in the look in the mirror. They are they the, the Americans are hooked on drugs. And the only yeah. way we're getting our drugs is by going to Mexico. And then everybody throws up their hands and blames Mexico. Mexico certainly has its share of of of, uh, of blame. But America, if Americans could stop uh, smoking pot and putting you know cocaine up their their nose, maybe we would be in, well, we'd be in a better place. Don't don't one second. We're we'll go, go ahead, Stephanie, and yeah. then and then I want to hear the others, Stephanie. Well, and don't forget the uh, huge, uh, exorbitant numbers of human trafficking that's going on. And that's part of it as well, as we don't have any policies on our end to cut the demand down. Now, I will say on the fentanyl, a lot of the stuff that's coming over, people are not choosing to take fentanyl. Things are getting laced with fentanyl. And so it's not like there's a demand for fentanyl. They are choosing right. to take, they are choosing, but wait a minute. Inside. They are choosing to take a drug that may or may not be laced yes. with fentanyl. So let's not say that, that that there's not, I mean, it, it's been in the papers for a long time. If you were a drug user in the United States, unless your, your mind is absolutely mush, you should know that if you take a drug, that's coming from right. Mexico, it is potentially laced with fentanyl, which can kill you. And you're an American, and you understand that. Go ahead, uh, Josh, and then I want to hear from Felix. So we're talking about two things, supply and demand, which is, is what we should be talking about. And thank you for uh, changing the tag to moderate. I appreciate that. Um, but look, <laughs> we are not going to solve the drug problem in America in terms of demand um, overnight. It's going to take years, and I don't even know if it is solvable. What we can do is strengthen our border, and that's going to require, you know, a, a wall, security fence in some places. Obviously, we can't do a wall across the whole border. It's too much. But there is more that we can do in terms of drones, in terms of security and the like, to stop the illegal migrants coming into this country. How about troops? And How about troops? 
How about armed troops on our border like there are armed troops on the border of other countries around the world that want to keep people out of their countries for security reasons? That's that's one of the things that Vivek Ramaswamy has talked about. He's talked about the use of troops. He and, and Governor DeSantis have also talked about, you know, the, uh, the, in, the incursion of U.S. military in Mexico to go after uh, the— uh, I mean, are, are these are these just crackpot ideas? Certainly, every editorial writer is going to come down on Hardy's people. But how how much of a crackpot idea is that, Felix? Are we are we moving towards that point where that's what are, are going to be our well, only option? We we have uh, with regard to the issue of of troops, um, uh, United States troops in Mexico against the cartels. We really need to give that some thought. The cartels run Mexico. Let's let's be certain about that. Uh, they have, by and large, not, not stepped over the border uh, to conduct their business directly or to impact or affect American United States citizens on our side of the border. If you should yeah. uh, move toward militarizing that border, you create a problem that we will own indefinitely. Without I, I question. Believe that you know, United States has become a sanctuary country. This is the country that everyone wants to immigrate to. Whether you're Russian, Ukrainian, Cuban, Honduran, or otherwise, that's where pe- this is where people are coming to. We have to get control of that border, and the Biden administration uh, has that charge and responsibility now. I suggested that Trump created it. Uh, uh, Joe Biden hasn't handled it properly. Good. Uh, well, I'm, that, I'm glad that, you. I'm glad you acknowledge that, because <laughs> I don't. Absolutely. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's anybody other than uh, you know the, the the presidential press secretary who can say, and she's not even saying it with a straight face, uh, that the Biden administration has done more than anybody else to stop illegal immigration in the United States. Anybody believes that, uh, you know, has been smoking too much stuff. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly from Chicago. This is Beyond the Beltway. Another thirty minutes coming up. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Here's that song again for the hundredth time today. Here's that song again. It's gonna be stuck in your head all day. Here's that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. 
affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. So just one quick story. This was out of the uh, the news this week in Chicago is that uh, there were several, I think it was uh, 20 or so, um, illegal immigrants, maybe asylum seekers that, that didn't clarify who they were other than they were arrested because uh, they had taken up giving uh, haircuts uh, to passers-by in the in the Pritzker Park in the downtown Chicago area. That's the Penny Pritzker mm-hmm. Park. And uh, they were picked up uh, and arrested for operating without a license. But again, uh, here's people coming to the United States. Uh, they need money. They need a job. They have a skill. And they were giving haircuts. But if they were giving those haircuts without a license, they were taking a job away from some licensed barber uh, in Chicago. And so, uh, there's just, that's, that's, a, that's a story as fresh as, you know, 24 hours ago, uh, in the city of Chicago, where, uh, again, uh, you know, you, you don't want the illegal immigrants coming here, but if they come in here, they're going to have to find a job and, uh, people who hire them. Uh, I think really, I think they are part of the problem as well. I think they've got to be singled out and penalized, but again, uh, they haven't been able to do that primarily because of Many in the in Congress, and this is where Felix is correct, uh, many in Congress, Democrats almost universally, but even many Republicans, they don't want to get tough with big business because they need the labor. And so, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 we've had a great conversation, but one of the most interesting aspects of this broadcast tonight is hearing uh, from Dan Ronan about what he is hearing from many manufacturers that he deals with in, in, in trying to bring more jobs to Mexico from China, because that could help, uh, that, 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 that's a, that, that's almost a trickle down, uh, response to, uh, that that's at least that's, that's, 
one of the best ideas that I've heard about how we solve this bigger, broader problem because it is a it is a world problem. But again, uh, you know, if if our manufacturing was coming from Mexico and not from China, I mean, I guess the next person would say, well, why don't you bring it to the United States? That would be the best idea. But again, if that's the best idea, we still would probably continue to get people from Central America trying to get to the United States for those jobs. So let's uh, mm-hmm. let's give them those jobs in Mexico and maybe help Mexico and fight their battles with uh, the cartel. Felix, you were going to make but a point. Bruce, go, go ahead, oh, Stephanie. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, but Bruce, isn't that the third rail about the immigration debate? Of course. And it that is, um, it is the third rail. You know, Republicans don't want to tackle the issue. We all know that, you know, to promote business, especially business in America and manufacturing in America, we are going to need cheaper labor. And, you know, Republicans have been reluctant to tackle that issue and increase immigration, whether it's a fear of, oh, we're going to just get too many Democrat voters, they're all going to become unionized, whatever. But that is the third rail, why we have not for years handled the immigration, work visas, whatever. It's it's it is. It's why we're it's why we're still it's it's why we talk about it every other week on this program and every talk show in America talks about it and certainly Fox News uh, talks about it uh, at least you know four hours every day it seems. Yeah. Uh, But again, it's you know there needs to be uh, frankly more programs like this that that talk about what solutions are. Felix, I mean that's uh, the the solution. The solution. The solution is is multifaceted. It's politics, yes. it's diplomacy, and it is enforcement. Uh, a wall isn't the answer. It never has been. But enforcement, both interior and border enforcement, is going to have to be increased. We've lost control. And quite frankly, Immigration Naturalization uh, Department of the United States of America needs some time to get it all back together. We've seen, you know, just from Cuba alone in the last two years, 350, 400,000 immigrants. And those individuals need work. They need housing. Uh, and, and if they don't have it, those 20 individuals that are you mentioned, we, Bruce, are we they ma- are now in the criminal justice system. Are we making them? Yeah, we, 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 by the way, we haven't even spoken about uh, mm-hmm. the criminal justice system. And we don't have records at the moment that can tell us whether or not this influx of illegal immigrants has raised uh, crime in America. There's a perception that it may have. Uh, I would challenge some of those perceptions. I think people are they're, they're looking for a way to, uh, you know, to put bread on the table for their families in most cases, but not all. Felix, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Yeah. If, if you exist and operate in the Cuban-American community in this country, you already know that there has been an increase in crime, an increase in shoplifting in Texas, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, there's already been an increase in crime related to the Cuban-American community. That's nothing to say about the Haitian community, the Honduran community, other communities where people are struggling and living on the streets because they've not been uh, processed through the immigration uh, yeah. But also, we should mention in 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 with Cuban Americans, they're they're primarily coming to Florida, where where they're they are a welcoming sanctuary city for Cubans. They have been for fifty years. It's actually the entire United States. Here in Michigan, here in Michigan, the Department of Health and Human Services 
had to uh, essentially bone up on their services to the Latin American, Central American community mm -hmm. because there were so many uh, Spanish-speaking Cubans and otherwise arriving. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not Florida. They are entering Texas, Kentucky, Michigan, Illinois. It's a problem, okay. and it's an American problem. Josh, you had your hand raised, and then we're going to kind of change subjects. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say this, that, look, if you're running for president, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or whatever, you know, and you may not be able to admit it, but you know that this is such a third rail issue, and the nation is so deeply divided, and that there hasn't been congressional action on immigration in something like 30 years, that Congress is not going to fix the problem no. and address the problem. So you have to be prepared as president to deal with the problem through executive action and otherwise. And I think that's where Biden has real vulnerability among moderates and independents because they see a real failure by this administration to address this issue. And he ran for president and he knew being in the Senate for all those years that Congress you hadn't done anything and they're not going to do it. Well, the other thing is you you would you you'd also one other option is you would need a uh, you would need a lame duck president um, who's got a backbone who's going to do things that are very unpopular to his or her political party. I mean, if mm -hmm. Don if Donald Trump were to become president and he would never have to face the voters again, he could do a lot of things. And a lot of people are very worried about what he could do, but he could make some of the decisions that that uh, Dan Ronan was talking about is bringing bringing big business, putting big business uh, involved in helping solve this problem uh, by uh, by trying to 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 pull uh, you know business out of China and put it in Mexico or put it someplace else. But again, uh, you you need some big thinkers. But I don't I don't know whether they're even out there. Bruce, yes. A, a, an auto worker, an auto worker in Mexico makes the equivalent of 250, 300 uh, USD a month. So when we talk about the business being the solution and, 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 and placing job opportunities in other countries, you got to be mindful of that. Because in Mexico, we still have immigration from Mexico, even though there are General Motors plants all over Mexico, about right. six or seven of them. And it's because right. of the low pay. You know, it's not. It, we can no longer operate from the perspective that it is not enough that we should succeed, the United States, but that all others should fail. Mm -hmm. We have to begin the Americas. We are moving into a geopolitical uh, situation here where uh, regions of the world are going to be competing against one another. And I believe mm -hmm. that the United States has to build America, not just the United States of America. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that 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 that, that is that is a an interesting point. Uh, Dan, final word to you on this topic. You know, it, uh, it is a vexing problem. It is one that probably will not be solved in our lifetime. There are uh, interests that have got a lot of money and a lot of uh, uh, reasons to keep things the status quo. Mm -hmm. uh, we are, uh, we've got another segment to come up. And by the way, we should mention by our guest this evening, uh, uh, Felix Sharp Calabrero has been with us. He is a Democrat political consultant uh, from the great state of Michigan, 
Also with us this evening has been Stephanie Hitt. She is a conservative activist now residing in the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, back to her home stomping grounds. And also joining us this evening uh, has been Josh Cantrope. He is now a, an attorney. Used to be, he converted tonight. He converted from being a conservative to being a moderate. Uh, uh, you've been a big supporter of Nikki Haley. Are you happy or, or sad with her uh, activities thus far, Josh? And are you endorsing her yet? To, to be fair, I've always been a moderate. Uh, I haven't changed. I've been a moderate Republican. Um, but in any event, Nikki Haley is someone who I remain quite interested in. I think she would be a terrific um, a nominee uh, for the Republican okay. Party. Well, have a great chance in the general election. She did well in the last, the first debate. She's got another one coming up on uh, September 27th. That's going to be at the Reagan Library. Uh, that is the second debate sponsored uh, by Fox Business News. And again, uh, uh, we will be here at our home base of WYND Radio in Chicago. Uh, we will be uh, covering and we'll be anchoring uh, that post a pre-debate and a post-debate reaction. Uh, that is coming up on the 27th. You're listening to Beyond the Beltway. We will be back. We will say farewell to our guests at this moment, except Dan Ronan. We will continue with him when we roll on from Chicago. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zinc and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, 
your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with uh, Dan Ronan, who joins us from Washington, D.C. And we wanted to make this uh, uh, segment uh, special because uh, it is personal. Uh, a story that obviously has dominated news for for a couple of decades now is the uh, the abuse uh, of children by priests uh, in the primarily in the Catholic Church, but not exclusively. And uh, uh, Dan is uh, an old friend of, of mine and a frequent guest on this program, and uh, he shared with me a couple of weeks ago that uh, uh, he was a victim of such activity, and he wanted to share his uh, thoughts. And uh, so we're going to spend some time talking about that. It goes back to 1971. Uh, how old were you, and uh, where did this uh, encounter with the Catholic priests take place? Rogers Park, 1706 West Lund, the uh, sanctuary at St. Jerome's Catholic Church, not far from where I grew up in, uh, in the north, uh, far north side of Chicago. It was after a mass on a weekend. I remember, I don't recall if it was a Saturday or Sunday, but it was in the sanctuary of the church after the mass. The uh, priest, a Jesuit by the name of Gannon, uh, assaulted me in the uh, aftermath of a, uh, of a church service that my grandfather was an usher at and had ushered at that mass. And uh, it was uh, a one-time experience. I uh, have had uh, throughout my adult life, you know, some certain mental health challenges trying to work my way through it the last four or five years. Uh, with the help of therapy and with the help of uh, a, a wonderful relationship has really started to balance things out. But there were a lot of rough years, and I equate it to sort of Bruce of uh, a beach ball that's inflated doesn't wear anything. It doesn't weigh anything. But if you take the beach ball and you put the beach ball under the water and hold it down at Leon Park or down at Loyola Park and you hold it in the water at Lake Michigan, within a couple of minutes, you're going to be exhausted because that's what this does to all of us. It mm -hmm. exhausts us. And uh, it was mentally exhausting. And I think the church has made some strides uh, in Chicago. Uh, Cardinal Ksupich has made some strides uh, to clean this up. Uh, Bernadine made some strides to clean it up. But there's a long way to go, and there's still way too much uh, fighting back on it. And uh, Illinois, uh, it, hopefully in this next session of the Illinois legislature down in Springfield, they're going to have a bill introduced in the legislature to change the statute of limitations so that people like my age in their 40s, 50s, and 60s mm -hmm. who had this happen to us when we were children so that the uh, we can at least take the archdiocese and seek some sort of civil penalties 
to try and get some help. In your particular case, and by the way, we should mention that the most recent Illinois Attorney General report that deals with the uh, child sexual abuse within the Catholic Archdiocese in Chicago, uh, your your story is referenced. They don't mention you by name, uh, but but your story is referenced. So you you are on the record. When this occurred back in 1971. Uh, what was your reaction? Did you tell your parents? Uh, was the was the priest confronted in any way? No, he went on to have a very successful career at the university level, teaching at Loyola of Chicago, at uh, the, the North Shore campus uh, in Rogers Park, and then at Georgetown University. He had a very successful career. Uh, he may have done some therapy and you know gone into uh, some sort of an inpatient type of thing. They knew that he had problems, uh, but they didn't do anything about it. He was a, a valued member of the uh, of the uh, the educational institutions that he taught at, but uh, he he stuck around and he wasn't he was a working priest when he died in uh, I guess ten years ago when he died about ten years ago he was still active as a priest. To what extent? And no, I I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my grandparents. I didn't uh, I didn't really come to grips with this until five or six years ago. Have you asked yourself why? I know why, because I didn't, I was so embarrassed. I was so ashamed. I was so horrified by what happened. And also priests in the era that we're talking about, uh, the 50s, 60s, 70s, others, uh, until the scandal came to light, they were held on such a pedestal. I talked, I found my old principal from St. Jerome a couple years ago. And I asked her, I said, sister, I said, uh, if I had come to you in the sixth grade and said, I had been sexually assaulted by a priest after mass. I said, would you believe me? And she said, eh, probably not. Now, oh, now it'd be, it'd be a different story. I mean, all the protocols are in place and everything's been changed. But 50 years ago, no, they, they, would, have, uh, they would have probably said, you know, it wasn't what you think it was, but there's no way. Did you ever, did you ever hear from friends of yours that uh, shared a similar story. Yes, I know of a uh, I know of someone who was also assaulted by this priest. I won't mention his name, but he is a very prominent uh, member of Chicago uh, in the legal profession, and I have talked with him about it. And he had a similar experience uh, that I had. Same priest, same guy, and uh, we've talked about it and shared notes. And uh, it's the exact same thing that happened to him that happened to me. They're very eerily similar. To what extent were you abused? What what happened briefly uh, without going into in gory details? I, you know, uh, I was assaulted in the sanctuary. He physically grabbed me in the sanctuary after mass. Uh, he pulled down his pants. Uh, you know, he, he mm -hmm. exposed himself. He forced me to do things that I'm still to this date uh, horrified by. He attempted to uh, get his hands into my my pants. Uh, the only thing that saved me is that I had a broken arm. I'd actually broken my left arm playing youth football. And uh, as he was trying to take his trousers off, he lost his balance. And as he did, I took my left arm and uh, pushed him back with my with my cast. And that stopped. But I don't know how long this went on. I did, to this date, I still don't know how long how long we were engaged in this one one last question i need a 10 second answer it's a horrible question to ask but uh 
How widespread do you think this is in America today? Today, not at all. I think today the church has done a really good job of weeding these guys out. 40 years ago, I think probably 8-10% of all the priests who were working were probably pedophiles. Dan Ronan, I, I thank you very much for uh, volunteering to sort of share your story with us on Beyond the Beltway this evening. Thank you very much for being with us. Uh, former reporter, now active in the transportation media business, Dan Ronan, joining us uh, from Washington as part of our guest this evening. Fritz Goldman helped make this program possible. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Matthew. Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. 
One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or know one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 